Hi, this is Sari Shore, and you're listening to Talking Blues. You just came back from Europe. You're there a lot. How long were you there for this time? Uh, almost a month on this run. And so, so people understand, Sari came home last night at 9 o'clock. She's a little tired now, <laughs> but she's kind enough to say hello and have this conversation with me. So how was the tour? Oh, the tour was great. You know, it really is the reward to all the hard work that goes into making an album like this. And to be able to tour and do the music that you love and meet like-minded people, you know, it's really, it's fascinating. I honestly feel like I'm at home wherever we are, whatever country we're in, because people are just so warm and gracious. And it's almost like, you know, the the family you choose to belong to. Right. Yeah, and that's what blues does. So tell me, you're you're from New York? Yes, I am. Queens, New York, originally. And I live in Brooklyn now. And you have spent all your life here. You haven't lived anywhere else? Yeah, well, I've been uh, living in New York up until... Uh, about two years ago when Mike Vernon discovered me in Memphis and that changed my life drastically overnight because suddenly I had a record deal with Manhattan Records. Ironically, they are based in the UK. Of course. (laughs) Then a UK band, although my my piano player, Bob Fritzema, is from the Netherlands. Uh, And then suddenly, you know, I... Uh, my my husband said, "Look, you know, it's it's like you're in the army. You know, just go do your thing. You know, share your gift, and whenever you, you know you get back here, you get back here. I'll be waiting for you. The dogs nice. are waiting." <laughs> so, I want to talk about the deal, but let's um, talk about your beginnings. You have some classical background. Yeah, I studied. Um, classical music with uh, Gloria Hilborn. She was a Juilliard teacher, and I studied privately with her. And um, I'm really fortunate that I had that training because it, it, I put a lot of demands on my voice, and especially you know, with the incredible band that I have, I'm able to really push the boundaries and, and do a lot of things spontaneously on stage, and that requires a lot of vocal... Uh, Stamina, really. And discipline, I believe. And discipline, yeah. And, you know, we've just done a run where we had, um, I think I did nine shows in a row uh, over the, you know, three or four different countries. So there's a lot of traveling and, and yeah. not a lot of sleep involved. And, you know, thanks to Gloria, this training that I had has really helped me. And she begged me to go into opera, but I was already writing songs. And for me, that was a form of expression that I really needed. And to in addition to just being a vocalist, I needed... At what age were you training with her? Oh, you know, my mother... Well, I started with Gloria when I was, in a, I think, um, 18 or 19 years old. Uh, my mother said I was singing before I could walk. She loves to embarrass me with this story. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember we used to put on concerts in our living room. We had a really small apartment in Queens, New York. And we would use the couch as a stage... And somehow my, my parents would convince the neighbors to come. They must have had to bribe everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you sing? Oh, we would just make up these silly songs. You know, that we, of course, you know, at 
eight, eight, nine, and ten years old. Because um, my my sister and brother and I are very close in age, we we thought they were great, but they were probably nonsensical to anyone else, especially <laughs> adults who were, had discerning taste. But we did, um, we loved it. And, and did, did either one of your brothers or sisters follow music? They they didn't. I'm the only one, and um, you know they they all kind of went the traditional path and and have really been supportive but my you know brother would occasionally whisper in my ear are you sure you want to do this because it's such a hard life Mm -hmm. and you know there's so many things you could do to make it easier on yourself you know you sure you don't want to have you know a family or you know a secure job secure income you know and I think the the thing is when you when you dedicate yourself to doing music it's it's not really a choice. You do it because you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know it's hard. You accept that part of it. And you hope that eventually if you're creating something that has value, then other people will eventually catch on and respond to it and find find value in it as well. Uh, and, you know, that journey, you know, sometimes takes many, many years. And in some ways it should, I think. Right. I mean, it's easy for me to say, but I mean, nothing comes easy. I think so. Well, it's funny. I watch these shows. um, They have them all over Europe as well. These talent shows. Mm -hmm. And you see these kids, you know, they're they're barely teenagers. And they say they've been dreaming of this their entire lives. (laughs) And, you know, there's there's something that time does that allows you to hone a craft that no matter how much talent you're born with Mm -hmm. and how much innate ability you have, unless you've lived and unless you've seen suffering and, and you've seen, you know, experienced the beautiful things life has to offer as well. It, there's only a certain depth you can have as an artist. And the songs that I write are about the human experience and as much as I wanted to be a great singer when I was in my teens and 20s, uh, I'm a much, much better singer now because I'm, I'm a storyteller now because I've lived a life, I've seen things. I've, you know, when you get to a certain age, you can't avoid experiencing life's tragedies, life's triumphs, and all of that gets infused into your work. And, and I think that really is an absolute necessity into becoming the best artist you can be. What was it like growing up and trying to make music in New York? What was it like playing in the New York scene? Uh, well, that, that's a good question. It was inspiring because there were a lot of great musicians, a lot of great talent here. But because of that, it was also very, very competitive. But I think it really was an advantage because you had to become better if you were going to survive here. And... I mean, one of my early breaks was getting uh, a regular gig at CBGB's. Can I ask what year this would yeah, have been? Oh, God, this, this had to be back in the, in the 90s. And we're talking like yeah. a punk band? Yeah, or? well, that was the thing. I was doing blues rock, um, and it was CBGB's was really known as being a punk, mm-hmm. punk uh, venue. But the owner, Hilly, just really believed in what I was doing. And although I didn't quite fit in... <laughs> With the rest of the musicians, you know, and uh, he was really supportive, and I and I loved playing there. It was really fun. The first time I ever took the stage, I couldn't believe how 
you, your feet actually stick to the stage because there's so much grime and dirt and filth. And, you, and then you think, you know, but there's really history in all this filth here. And it's, you know, you can't, you have to leave it. Whose filth is this? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a treasure. Um, but also the great advantage of being in New York was all the different influences. So I had a very strong jazz background. In fact, jazz was my f- my first real love as a vocalist. Uh, I w- discovered blues through jazz when I wanted to try and trace back the influences of the great jazz singers that I liked and Who loved, like Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, Nat King Cole, and just going back through the timeline and then discovering artists like Ma Rainey and Big Mama Thornton, and then f- realizing this was much better match for my voice and I started to discover a home for myself as a vocalist. So it it really redirected my focus and and really helped help me form an identity. And how tough was it to be a blues musician in New York? Because blues, I mean, I know that New York has a blues scene, but it's not really known for its blues. Yeah. It is difficult, um, and it's unfortunately becoming more difficult because we keep losing mm-hmm. you know, more great venues. I mean, Papa Chubby and I, we, we did some great gigs at the Rodeo Bar. That's gone, and now B.B. King's is closing. I love performing there. Yeah, but you know, there's, uh, this is a problem all across Europe as well and the U.K. Just a lot of great venues are, are closing. Um, and that's why it's it's so important that we get the message out that, you know, unless we all go out and support live music, you know, one day we're going to turn around and that's going to be gone. You know, gone. Yeah. yeah. If I if I understand correctly, you've also had some disappointments in recording deals in the past, that you started re- doing a record and the record company would disappear or go back up. That's <laughs> yeah. happened more than There's once so, to you, right? Uh, it's only happened, I think, eight times. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when you go through something like that, let's say the first time it happens, <sighs> it's a big disappointment. It is. By the eighth time, are you thinking, oh, no. <laughs> Each time, you know, it's funny, there was... See, I've never had a lack of record deals, but getting a record out, even with this the last record I did, you know, you, I think I was holding my breath until release date because, Mm -hmm. you know, right now everything just felt too good to be true. Right. But the, the disappointments that I had in the past really did prepare me for the ups and downs in this business and to, and to also keep my focus on what was truly important. And that was realigning my, my priorities on the art, honing my craft, trying to create something that could be meaningful and not worrying whether or not it was going to be commercially successful. And, you know, the, the big record deals that I had had and the small record deals I had, none, you know, and, and all of the, you know, everyone has a different story, <laughs> different tragic story, right. like getting signed to Mercury Records in France and then having the entire label shut down by uh, Universal in New York, just pulling the plug on everything. How do you find something out like that? Uh, well, um, 
unfortunately, you know, that was a really embarrassing situation because for, for two weeks, you know, I thought I had just landed the, you know, the greatest record deal of my life. And two weeks is enough time for your entire family to tell everybody they know. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, then the, but these things happen. And, you know, there were other artists that were in a much worse situation than I was. They were artists who just had their records released. And all of a sudden, there's no record in, record company in place anymore. You know, so for me, it was just, um, you know, very, really unfortunate. But I was able to, you know, get back on my feet and just say, okay, well, I'm going back to, you know, still performing doing doing my my live shows working with my band doesn't matter you know on what scale it is as long as we always value the music and put a hundred percent of ourselves into it so that's working lots of little little clubs in new york you know these little back streets and i i can even remember like we on this last tour we sold out our entire run um in germany and i can remember the band outnumbering the audience. It wasn't too long ago. You know, okay, so we were, how do you how do you not become bitter or how do you just maintain the confidence mm-hmm. or that will without getting really bitter? Yeah, that well Or is it just the fact that it's something you have to do? That's a big part of it. It's something that you have to do. You feel it's a calling, but you do you have to fight off the bitterness. You do. Because you know, this struggle gets tedious and, you know, the financial pressures just become too much, you know, very often. And, you know, there were so many, you know, times where, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't find relief, you know, from the financial pressure and just this, this feeling of, you know, how, how do we get out of this hole? Um, but what you, for me, what helped me was getting into some humanitarian work and working in Haiti and working in India and really, really poor villages and getting a much clearer perspective on what struggle really meant. So, okay, I was struggling to fulfill career aspirations, but I was working with people who were struggling to survive, Mm -hmm. to have clean water, to have food, to have a roof over their head. So that always helped put everything in perspective for me. And then to remember if I really love what I was doing and love music, always asking myself you know, to check, am I doing it for the right reasons? Am I doing it for the art, for the sake of art? Or am I doing it for money and celebrity and struggling to achieve success allowed me to ask those hard questions all the time but you gotta eat right i mean yeah yes well that was the great thing about living in france because in paris i was able to survive on one euro ten a day i'd go to a cafe and get a croissant and an espresso and they let you sit there all day and i would write my lyrics (laughs) so it's a paris folks is a great place to be poor (laughs) no better city in the world for that <laughs> okay but you just kept going you just kept you just going said, I'm not going to stop or did you ever think about yeah. stopping I wanted to stop a lot of t- so many times I, I would pray please let me what is it is it an addiction <laughs> is it you know just to punish myself but you know it really 
it's who I am. Uh, that's I realized it. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. And when I don't do it, when I'm not performing, when I'm not singing, when I'm not writing, when I'm not involved in music in some capacity, I feel like I'm starting to suffocate. So it's it's really just embedded into my DNA, for better or worse. And um, now that you know, I'm looking at it from you know if there's a line of success versus unsuccess and I'm, I'm now on the other side of that, mm-hmm. um, all these lessons that I've, I've learned along the way, I'm able to keep the success in perspective. And I think it's much healthier for me because it didn't happen quickly. And I'm so much more grateful for it as well. And, you know, I think... Can, can I ask you what yeah. your definition of success would have been back then when you were struggling to get a record label or pack the house or whatever like yeah. what would you have wanted back then you know it, exactly what I'm doing now to be able to do music in a sustainable way where I have a team of people around me to help um, support my work I have a great record company I have a great manager I have a great band and I have fantastic fans who are really really loyal um those were all the things that i was missing and it's funny and i you know i just realized i didn't even say anything about money because it really it's you know i hope my record company is not listening but it's not about the money <laughs> but, but you still have to eat <laughs> but we have to and we do selling 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 albums selling cds and vinyl uh, and people coming out to live shows is what supports the art mm-hmm. and and all artists need that support because we do you know live in a monetized world and we we do have to eat um but you know it's i'm really really grateful that i'm that i've gotten to this point um and i i would say to anyone listening follow your dreams follow your heart as long as you know that you're doing it for the right reason and if it's because you can't live without it and because you really do feel you've got something of value, something to make the world a better place, or something to to touch people in a way that only you can do, then stick with it because other people will you will be discovered, you know, sooner or later. It'll it will happen. Although you have to have some talent too. Yeah, but it's funny. My father, my father was an Air Force jet fighter pilot, and he had this great quote that he used to say to me all the time. He said, "Talent is common, execution is rare." Mm. So sometimes, you know, you don't. And that I used to beat myself up all the time. You know, when I wasn't achieving the success, I would say, "Oh, it's because you're not good enough. You're, you're not the greatest. You're not." And all these things that are, that are unimportant. It, what it is is just being the best version of yourself and knowing who you are that's a whole journey mm-hmm. in and of itself that's a whole separate thing because becoming a great artist you have to really become the greatest version of yourself yeah. I, I hear that but when you have eight record deals fall apart 
and you're playing to very few people, that's a hard thing to maintain. So, I mean, that speaks highly of your discipline and, that, and your and, will, I guess. Yeah, that's, but the, you're right. It is. It does take a lot of discipline, and it takes courage. And, you know, you, you've got to be single-minded, and you've got to have a stubbornness. But, you know, as I said, I would always remind myself, you know, I'm not struggling to walk. Uh, I have a healthy body. I am not struggling to see. I, you know, there's, you know, I worked with people who were blind and deaf. And, you know, to, to think about my, my challenges in the overall scheme of what so many people have to face every day. I, I thought I'm, I'm really lucky to have to take on the challenges I have and not, not some of the other, you know, really painful things that people deal with in life. So take me back three years to in your life three years ago today yeah. and where you were at. This would be a month or so before the 2016 IBC. Mm. Okay, well, that was a really interesting period of time. Um, I had just been fired from uh, a band that I really enjoyed. I actually loved being a part of. Um, I was singing with Joe Lewis Walker. And, you know, I just loved being in the support role and being a part of a situation that was well organized. It was a fantastic record label. And, you know, I adored Joe and the band. But Joe was really feeling as though I needed to spread my wings and go out on my own. And he knew I would never do that. So he really he said, look, that you have got to go solo. And, you know, you've got a lot to say. You've got a talent. People need to hear you. It was funny. He used to, if anyone um, referred to me as his back, his backup singer when we were doing sound checks, he, he would take great offense. He's just like, she ain't no background singer. <laughs> She's my, you know, co-singer. But the truth is I was in the support role and I was very happy to be the background singer. But he, he was featuring me on three or four different songs. And when you were being featured, how did you feel? Well, it was liberating that I could have my own voice and I had the freedom. Joe gave me a lot of creative freedom and I was able to to communicate directly with the audience. So I, I really, I, I did love it. Um, but, you know, and thanks thanks to Joe, he said, you know, listen, you've, you've got to do this. So um, there was this period of time where, you know, I had realized, all right, you know, I, I'm I have I have to you know go back to being in the trenches again and fighting my way through this career battle and uh, just wasn't sure you know exactly what the first steps were going to be and uh, got a call from someone I had known for many years in New York saying that he wanted to start a blues label again and he wanted me to be the first artist that would be recording for him. Um, so we started, we actually started a record together, 
but his funding fell apart. So that was another situation where a record got half made and then shelved. And it was right. Well, what happens to all these half-made albums? Uh, are they out there somewhere? Like, are there songs floating yeah, around? Yeah, you know, he, yeah, I, I would love to hear a lot of these recordings. I don't, I don't even have them. Um, generally, they, you know, they end up in a vault somewhere mm-hmm. or on someone's shelf. And for me, really, until recently, they were all too painful. These memories were just too yeah, difficult, yeah. and I just wanted to move on, move forward. You know, but now I'm I'm in a much better place, and I think I could. I think I would enjoy hearing a lot of these recordings again at this point. But um, yeah, and so and that was right at the time I went out to Memphis. It was a last minute decision to go, and it was an accidental meeting with Mike Vernon. So before that, though, yeah, okay, you decided you're going to go to IBC and and be part of the competition or whatever it's called. Um, are well, you with the band? Like, is this your band or? Well, actually, I wasn't because I had just left Joe Lewis Walker's band. I had no band of my own at that point, and I was working with a, a sort of manager. Um, it was unofficial, but he had told me uh, when I said I want to go out to Memphis to the IBCs. I wasn't are you competing. competing. No, I wasn't. Oh. But I I wanted to just go to show my support because I had a lot of friends that were competing. And I had met so many people um, being out on tour with Joe that I wanted to be there to show my support of the community. And this uh, manager had said to me, well, you don't belong there because you are a nobody. And until you're a somebody, you're a nobody. So you stay home. That's the kind of management one needs. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, he's absolutely right. I am a nobody. So, But then the next morning I woke up and I thought, no, it's not about being someone. It's about being a part of a community that you love and people you love. And I bought a ticket. And the day after, I was on my way to Memphis. Last minute, showed up. I didn't even have a hotel reservation, but I was hoping you know, that some hotel would have a cancellation. And sure enough, I went right into you know, the, the Sheraton where it kind of everything happens. And... Went up to the desk and said, oh, we just had a cancellation. Because usually these things are booked a year in advance. And that was it. And uh, I was invited to attend an awards lunch for the people behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like the producer of the year, record label of the year, agent of the year. and although I was invited to attend, it was an expensive ticket to buy. Right. And I had considered the price was just not affordable for me. But then when I thought about you know, honoring you know, the people behind the scenes who make it all happen for us, the artists, I thought, I'm going to go. Even if I, I don't eat for the next three days, I'm going. And that's where Mike Vernon was receiving producer. It was not producer of the year. It was Lifetime Achievement Award that he was being given. And when he accepted the award, he said that he was retired and living comfortably in Spain and he was out of the music business completely, but he told such beautiful stories about his work and I was just desperate to meet him. Although I was thinking, with all the people in the room being honored, you know, record company of the year, agent of the year, manager of the year, festival of the year, I said I would be 
so much more clever to meet any of the active people in the business who could actually help me. Apparently not, though. But I, I was just thought, you know what? I don't want to look like a politician working the room and going over to everyone and say, hi, I'm Sari Shore, and nice to meet you, and then going on to the next person. I, I said to myself, you're allowed to choose one person, one person only. Who do you really want to meet? Forget what might strategically be good for your career, even though that would have made more sense. And I was actually thinking of Madonna's story that was told to me how she got her record deal because she heard that Seymour Stein was in the hospital. And knowing that, she went to his hospital room. <laughs> and I thought, you know, this is not, not what Madonna would do, but I decided it's got to be Mike Vernon. And when I introduced myself to him, I didn't even tell him I was a singer. I was just trying to put a couple of words together without stuttering to say, I, I love your work and thank you for these great records and bye. And I heard him say, who, who are you? As I was walking away. But I just kept going, you know, cause there's so many people that wanted to get near him and I just left. Um, and then that night, it wasn't planned, but I was invited to perform at the Daisy Theater. And it was one of those moments where everything worked. It was a fantastic band, fantastic sound system, and uh, perfect timing. And I got up to sing. And That's it was crazy. It is insane. <laughs> insane. So, okay, so how did you get invited to go up and sing? Because this is when the competition's going on, or is it over? Well, it's. The competition's still running, but they have this um, sort of like an all-star concert. Right, 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 right. Okay. And that you know, all of uh, everybody you know shows up for this, and everybody wants to be invited to get yeah. on stage. But you know, not everybody has the privilege. And when they asked me, okay, so how did that happen? Well, I think one of the guys had seen me perform when I was either with Joe Lewis Walker or Papa Chubby I'm not quite sure but he was a fan of my work and he said hey we would really love you to 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 sit in with us and it was actually getting very very late by the time they got me up I almost gave up and left but, yeah yeah because those things don't run a long time because <laughs> I actually had a flight back to New York the next day wow so I and uh it, I ran into Mike Vernon the next day saying, God, you know, why didn't you tell me you were a singer? And it was incredible, and everyone's talking wait, wait, before about Before <laughs> we go there, what did you sing? Do you um, remember? Yeah, what, my favorite Willie Dixon song, because nothing is arranged, so you have to you know, pick yeah, yeah. something that everyone knows. So I have this you know, really fun version of I Just Want to Make Love to You. And then it went into some kind of you know, really free jam, and we were just, you know all being wonderfully spontaneous. And, and did you know that you were doing well? Did it feel good? It felt great. It did, yeah. I, w I was having... I was just so grateful that I made the decision to be out there because, you know, every time I turned around, there was someone else I knew, someone else calling my name, saying, hey, it's great to see you. How are you? And, you know, I really felt like I was a part of you know, this wonderful community, this wonderful blues community that I loved. And and I was thinking, wow, this is, you know, I would have been home sitting on the couch with my three pit bulls feeling sorry for myself. 
<laughs> and here I am on the stage at the Daisy Theater with all of these you know, wonderful people. And so I, I was just really loving it. Okay, so you didn't even go for the competition. That's crazy. Yeah, and yeah. then you meet Mike the next day. Yeah, and the first thing, he was just so shocked. Like, you, why didn't you tell me you were a singer? Why didn't you tell me more about yourself? And, and to be honest, I think... It just created this wonderful mystique about me as well because I, you know, didn't tell yeah, him that it, it was another, <laughs> just another singer trying right. to get my attention. Right. You know, that's how that's how cool I am. I don't even, and and maybe this is why I'm not well known. I don't tell anybody <laughs> what I do. <laughs> so, um, and he he said, "I'd really love to hear the stuff you're working on." You know, I'm heading back, you know, to Spain. So send me some stuff and. I, I, that was a hard decision, like what to send him, because I had such a big back catalog. But I, I, I think I sent him about a half a dozen tracks. And original? All originals. And he called me immediately and said, okay, I have no idea why no one's ever made a record with you. It's a crime. It's a sin. I'm going to be the one to do it. I'm coming, coming out, out of retirement. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. How did you feel? Uh, I felt, it felt different that time because just his stature, you know, mm-hmm. he was so well respected and he's such, he's so iconic. Mm-hmm. I thought someone like him is not going to be raising my hopes for no reason. I mean, he's, he's not promising me success. He's promising that he's going to make a record with right. me and coming out of retirement yeah that's crazy yeah so i felt you know this this could have been you know the the thing that was going to change the trajectory of my career i I felt it it felt different until i got to spain (laughs) okay so the deal was that come on over let's let's work on some songs see what we get right and then things fell apart for me for a brief time, he he had his guitar player, Kike Banal, there. He's a wonderful Spanish guitarist. And Mike Vernon and I sat in Mike's living room. He has a beautiful villa. I mean, it's just absolutely spectacular with an incredible panorama. And, you know, I was really feeling a bit intimidated. And then... Um, Sorry, had you been to Spain before? I had, yeah. Okay. But and I, whereabouts in Spain? I had been in Madrid and, you know, a backpacking through Europe, you know, in college, you know, the, that kind of thing. But I had never, you know, been in a villa like this and seen, you know, how a world-famous record producer lives <laughs> and all the gold records on the walls and everything. But we're sitting at this beautiful dining room table and... Mike says, all right, let's write a song together. Now, what Mike didn't know is I can write music very quickly, but I struggle to write lyrics. I really struggle. It takes me a long time, and I have to be completely alone. I have to like go into a dark cave somewhere. And he's expecting me now to sit there and write lyrics and write a song with, with him and Kike. And I thought, oh, my God. I'm, I am going to completely destroy the greatest opportunity I've ever had in my life. 
about pressure. Oh God, I was, I really, I'm like, my, my hands were shaking. I was like trying, trying to see if anyone else would notice. Can they, is it just me? Am I, is it internal <laughs> pressure or can they see? Am I sweating? Is it dripping onto the blank page in this blank white piece of paper that Mike put in front of me? It was just like the most awful white color I'd ever seen. <laughs> and then I turned my head and I looked up and on Mike's shelf was a picture of his wife who he had just lost a year before. And I am telling you, Natalie was her name. Natalie and I together channeled this song and I wrote a lyric in three minutes. I wrote an entire song. I just told Kike, start playing some chords. And he said, what chords? And that was a terrible answer. And because I didn't have anything planned, and I just randomly threw out a chord progression to him, just a standard chord what is progression. Is it one four five? Is that what... something very, very obvious and simple? But I came up with a melody that was beautiful, and haunting, and a lyric. Looking at Mike's. How much label. did you know about her? Well, Mike had told me um, that. He lost her about a year ago. He, in, When he was accepting the Lifetime Achievement Award, he had talked about her and the great love that they had. And in the photo, I could see she was beautiful. And she was wearing this lovely, like, English-style hat that the ladies wear. And, and she just looked, you know, very elegant and stylish. And, and But her eyes were really sensitive and warm. And I wrote the song letting go it's a song about love and loss and i really feel like natalie gave me this song and you know it was the first song we wrote together and mike was just floored and we were you know all on the verge of tears and i was afraid to tell him you know that you know natalie and i have kind of written this song for you but he knew he knew just you know the lyrics and the melody you know, really hit home. And every when we went into the studio to record the song, you see, now that was the Mike's plan. Once, once I arrived in Spain, he said, okay, so I've decided we're going to spend three days here writing with you, Kike, and I. And then I've booked a recording session in Sevilla. And we'll go in and record the songs that we're going to write over the next three days. <laughs> Well, so I got very lucky with this, the first song, Letting Go, and the other two songs sort of fell into place the same way, although the third song, Cat and Mouse, I finished driving to the studio. Luckily, it was a three-hour drive, and luckily we hit traffic once we got into Sevilla because I needed the extra time to finish the lyric, and I was even finishing some phrases as I was recording the song in the, in the studio, making last-minute changes. And this is but, so different from your norm, yeah, normal uh, way of writing. Absolutely. so, so, so different, you know, where I have plenty of time and, you know, there are songs that I'm working on for years that I haven't finished. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a handful of songs that didn't make it onto my new album, my current album, Never Say Never, because they could be done, but for me, they still need some tweaking and fine-tuning. I'm not um, sure why you wouldn't have pulled out an old song. 
You know what I mean? Like something that you've been working on for many years. Well, that's sort of what I was hoping initially was going to happen. But Mike really wanted to be a part of the writing process. And he wanted to test to see really this, what the strength of my writing was. So, and I, although he didn't say, you know, it was a little bit of an audition, you know, I think he was sort of reserving that right before he put his name and his reputation on the line. Right. He wanted to see exactly, you know, what my full potential might be. And I think he, Mike Vernon and I discovered my potential together. Because <laughs> At I that didn't, moment. I didn't know I could do it, really. And, you know, now looking back, it it's... Uh, it was a defining moment. Okay, how do you explain that? Do you think it's just all the hard work you put into it? That it's just, this was, this was it. You either do it or you don't. Yeah, I think, you know, I never like to take credit for the big successes and the, the big achievements like this because I don't think you do it alone. And I, I do believe, I believe that there, there is some part of destiny that plays a part in all of this. Yes, the training and all the hard work that came before. Yes, all of that does play a part. But there's a certain amount of luck that you need. And I think, yeah, hard work can help diminish the amount of luck that you need. But I, I think you still need, you still need to get lucky. And, you know, I think I've got some great people um, who I've lost, who are looking, looking out for me and making things happen, so that I can be in a position to give back. You know, I think part of my my destiny is to achieve success in music, so that it gives me a platform to do things for other people. Mm-hmm. Because you know that does make me feel as though my life is really meaningful. So you go into the studio, record these three songs. What happens? Well, Mike put together an incredible band of Spanish musicians that absolutely blew me away. I I had no idea um, the caliber of musicians that I would be working with, you know, and you know how much I enjoyed the company of these guys, and how kind they were. Uh, allowing me to speak my <laughs> Brooklyn Spanish to them. <laughs> but we had such a great time. And afterwards, Mike said, okay, um, so this is clearly working. And how do you feel about these guys? And I said, you know what? I would love to record the record with them in this studio exactly the way we've just done it. You know, just going in live you know, and just laying it down in a really, really honest way. And he said, good, because that was what I was hoping you would say, but I wouldn't impose that on you. I wouldn't, as your producer, say, this is the studio I want you to work in, and this is the band. I wanted you to come to that decision on your own. So it was perfect. You know, I, I understood completely what Mike wanted to do. I love the way Mike worked with all of us in the studio he has a way of bringing out the best in everybody he he makes it makes you comfortable enough that you can take risks you you don't feel self-conscious 
you just feel inspired. And how comfortable are you in the studio at this point, having been there many times before with with, with recordings that never finished? But. Yeah, that was, recording the album with Mike was the first time I actually ever felt comfortable in the studio. And um, he he really taught me how to be the best artist I can be in a studio environment and um, how to make it more about the performance and not overthink things. Because I have a technical background that's a tremendous asset, but in the studio, if you start thinking technically about things, you lose some of the raw emotion and he really helped me get to the point where I could just be the storyteller and for you know Mike doesn't care if things are perfect he cares if they're honest and you know that was you know very very liberating for me to be able to get to that point too just you know he would say look you do not have to prove that you're a great singer that is that's not what we're recording we're not recording a great singer where that that is just that's your gift now we're we're telling the story and you know that that really changed my whole perception about what my job was okay so you do this album and it gets picked up and you yeah. get a manager yeah. you get a record label yeah and it changes your life. Yeah. And now, so the focus at that point is, let's tour you in Europe. Because I know you played the Ottawa Blues Festival a few years ago, yes, right? Yes, that's right. But I don't, know, I don't really see a lot of American dates. Is the focus mainly in Europe? Yeah. Right now, I get, the problem is just time for us. I've got eight different agents in, in all these different countries fighting for our schedule. And the reason we started the to really try and build my profile in the UK was logistically it made sense because the label was there, my manager's there, most of the band is based there. and So, but this is a different band from the, the initial band that that's you right. in Spain. That's right. My record label manager helped put together a brand new band for me and the fact that the UK is so much smaller than the US it's much much easier to tour mm -hmm. we we were able to cover the you know all the way from you know down in London all the way up to the north of England and Scotland you know it's really manageable it's it's much more affordable um, which is hard to imagine that England could be more affordable, but yeah, yeah, it's just they because I'm signed to a UK label, the infrastructure is there, and you know all of the the marketing and promotional support is is there in the UK for for this record label, and the the other advantage of a UK presence in building the profile there is. Uh, all the European countries are, are looking what what's happening in the UK. So it's given me a great foothold into France and Germany 
Switzerland, Austria, Poland. I mean, I, I'm headlining one of the one of the biggest festivals, a few the few really really big festivals next year. Um, so without even working my way through, you know, the 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 lower and the middle level festivals, we're we're going right in at the top level, and I that's because of all the hard work that we've done in the UK. Right. But I really really hope this is in a relatively short period of time. It, yeah, it is. It is. And that's one of the things that that also concerns me because I do believe in the grassroots right. <laughs> approach to building an artist because then it's real and you have real fans. And the other advantage of that is you're playing smaller venues where you have a m- much better chance to connect with people. You know, when we're on these big stages... First of all, the audience is so far away. You know, they, the first few feet is just reserved for security and ph- photographers. Right. So then the audience, the front row of the audience is, is quite far away from what I'm, I'm used to doing all these years. <laughs> and, you know, I you know, still want to get, you know, a really personal, intimate relationship with everybody. But when you can't even see, you know, the back of the audience because you know they're just too far away I'm, I'm afraid I'm I'm losing that so um, you know one of the, I'm headlining the London Blues Festival in January and it's at a historic club called the 100 Club in London and that's going to be a nice medium sized venue right. so I think it's really important that I you know continue to perform in, in places where uh, the audience and I still have access to each other. But it's so neat to see this. Like this, like obviously you're going through Switzerland, Germany, and the UK recently. Like, yeah. Like when I look at your your dates for the last year, has been <laughs> all Europe, right? Yeah. Does it frustrate you that you can't? You're not doing the states, or is that secondary? No, I would love to be touring here more, uh, because you know it's home, mm-hmm. and. The, you know, I've always loved traveling across the country when, when I was working with Joe Lewis Walker and seeing, you know, all, all the different, um, you know, there's so many different flavors to our own country. Uh, and, you know, that, that's a priority for me. We just, we, we have to work really hard to try and, you know, develop develop our our career here now is there is there a business plan or some sort of a a plan that you have that you discuss with your management as to how you grow yeah right now they're uh they are putting different management teams in place and in different countries we've just set up um an additional management team in france because it's just getting too big for everything to be handled out of London. And we are doing the same thing in the States right now. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So hopefully that'll that'll help. And how's the album being re- received? Uh, it Knock on wood, you know, <laughs> we hit number one in the UK. And the record is um, was released a month later in the States. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how... The distributor decides these things, but um, luckily, 
it's really been well received. We're just starting now to get some some airplay here, so we're hoping you know that if if the album works for the stations, they will be you know inspired to play it. So I've got my fingers crossed. This is an exciting time. Tell me about your band because it's a pretty impressive lineup. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about who they are and where they come from. Well, on guitar, I have one of the UK's most stunning guitarists. In fact, he was just voted, uh, I think it was number 13 best guitar player in the UK. Wow. Yeah. And he is not only supremely talented, but he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. And his name is Ashley Wilson. And we met because I was actually, um, he was my support. He opened for me at a show in London at the borderline. And my, we had the same publicist. And my publicist said, you have to check this guy out. He's really amazing. And I, no, I normally don't get to hear the support act, but I snuck out to hear Ash. And I was, I was absolutely blown away. And we talked after the show and just really felt we were on the same wavelength musically. But at that point, I, I was not yet looking to put a new band together. But um, the timing was perfect. A few months later, when I was, my manager reached out to Ash, and he just said he would love to come on board. So really, that was you know, the first step, putting the new band together. And then um, a phenomenal keyboard player named Bob Fritzema, who I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. from the Netherlands, he was just stepping out of a band he had been with for, for several years, a band called King King who's also on my label, and that was the connection. And um, he was happy to come on board, and then Matt Beeple on bass, and Roy Martin, who I had heard play in Liverpool, and just thought he was a wonderful, wonderful drummer. You know, he's got a really deep pocket, and he's absolutely hilarious, guys. He's great, great to be on the road with. And... You know, as soon as uh, we all started working together, you know, there's a chemistry that has to happen with a live band. It's not enough if they're great musicians. Mm-hmm. If there's not that chemistry and if there's not that rapport, because communica- music is communication. So if certain people just click, and, and we did. And that's why this album was recorded live the same way I did the first album, just put this band in the studio because we had worked through the songs when we were on tour and we really felt confident that we would be able to get it. Although it's a risk recording a record this way. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? What's the next step? So the next step is to continue to tour and uh, try to do more touring stateside um, and continue to write for, for the next album and and I just really try try and you know meet as many many people as I can as we you know travel all around the world and keep my eyes open and be a good listener for stories because as I I write about the human experience I love people and as I travel all of these things become infused in my songwriting so it's just to you know be out there and 
with my eyes and ears wide open. This is so exciting. I mean, it just seems like a really neat time for you. You Thank know, you, I mean, and especially after all the false starts, you know, and I and I can see that that can be very discouraging and uh, very hard to go through. But it's nice to see that it pays off, and and pays off in a way that who would imagine that going to the IBC and not even competing <laughs> and getting, you know, like I mean, I know a number of artists who've gone to the IBC and have won, and that's changed their lives and whatever. But for you to actually go, because I also think about people who don't win and they get a little bitter about the experience. But I know people who didn't win who have had great opportunities presented to them just by being there. And, you know, obviously that's the case for you and it's changed your life. So yeah. good for you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, Thank it's neat. And then, and, um, and I get to meet people like you. That's not the downside. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's exciting and, and I hope everything continues to go on the upswing so thank you so much for doing this I know you must be exhausted right now because you're in European time and it's getting late but, but no. uh, thank you so much for doing this Marco thank you very very much it was a pleasure to speak with you and hopefully we can follow up one day definitely right. thanks